Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. It's the holy month of Ramadan, observed by Muslims around the world. Joining me in studio to talk about it, Faison Syed, Executive Director of CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations. Mojda Siddiqui is a local fitness trainer, and Nisar Syed Power is a Project Downtown volunteer. Thank you all so much for being with us. Thank, Thank you for you having, for having us. us. Does one say Happy Ramadan? Is that the appropriate mm-hmm. thing yeah. to say? Well, in that case, Happy Ramadan Thank to you, you all. Thank you. All righty. Let me begin with uh, you, Majda, about uh, what this holiday means to you, this time period means to you. I love Ramadan. It's the best time of the year. It's the time where I get to do what I love most, most, which is introspection. I like to just zoom into myself, get to know myself better, uh, disconnect digitally from the cyber world and connect with my inner world, which I don't get to do much, uh, being a busy uh, millennial. That is. All right. Okay. Well, you're right in the middle of this uh, whole period right now, aren't you? Pretty. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Nassar. Yes. How about you? What does this holiday mean to you? Well, it's. um, That's all right. Sorry. Something um, that I look forward to also all year long. It gives me a chance to refocus and kind of um, reset. It gives me time to. reflect on what I can do better. And I try to continue that on for the rest of the year and set some goals and objectives, kind of learn more. I see. All right. Faison, same to you. Well, just to add to what everybody said, you know, Ramadan is a month in which one out of every five people in the world, because there's about 1.84 billion Muslims in the world, give up eating and drinking from sunrise to sunset in order to fundamentally uh, gain a spiritual awareness of God, of Allah in the Arabic language. And by fasting and staying away from food and drink, it gives you an opportunity to reflect on your own strengths and your own weaknesses. During this month, you'll find Muslims try to be better people. They try to donate. They try to give more charity. They try to pray more. They try to go to the masjid more. And it's also a month of community. Every night in Ramadan, all the Islamic centers in St. Louis and across the world will hold the iftar dinner as a communal event. So people within the community, even people of other faiths, are welcome to come in and participate in that breaking the fast meal. And one of the main things about Ramadan is an opportunity for us everyday folks to feel what many empowered people around the world is a reality of their life, which is for many people, food insecurity is a daily norm. And not knowing where your next meal is going to come from or actually feeling hungry is part of who they are. And when Muslims we fast, we get to experience what these people experience. And through that, gain a better appreciation for the uh, impoverished in the world. And also, uh, there's many charity opportunities to then help those people who are impoverished as well. What, what is the origin of the, of the holiday? Ramadan began during the time of the Prophet Muhammad, they peace be upon him. It was a month in which the Quran specifically stated to fast during those 30 days in Ramadan. And during that time, of course, they lived in a very different time than we do. We get to experience the luxury of air conditioning and working indoors. But at that time, of course, they had a much harder time fasting in Ramadan. One of the unique things about Ramadan, though, I remember when I was a kid and I first started fasting, believe it or not, Ramadan was in the winter time. Right now it's in May and it's the heat of this month. And what's interesting is that Ramadan goes back 10 days every year because based on the lunar calendar. So now as an adult, fasting is about 18 hours a day. 
Um, but when I was a kid, you could break your fast like around 4, 35 o'clock. So it's not the best for me, but for my children, it's going to be something very easy once they start fasting. What about very young children, uh, toddlers? <clears throat> uh, are they uh, subject to the fasting as well? So children Islamically start fasting once they hit the age of puberty, and that's when it becomes an obligation. But what's interesting is that so many young kids, they want to be like their parents, they mm -hmm. want to be like their older brothers and sisters, they want to be like everybody in the family, and they start fasting at very young ages. I remember myself, I started fasting at the age of seven uh, at home. And again, my parents didn't tell me to fast, they didn't force me to fast. They would just wake up early, and I didn't want to be left out, so I joined in as well. In fact, yeah. Nassar, she's got kids, and they're fasting right now. I have two, one mm -hmm. a 12-year-old and an 8-year-old. And both of them, I've told them, not obliga obligatory to fast, but they want to. And um, even my 5-year-old will do half-day fasts. And how, how, Nassar, how difficult is it to fast uh, on a on, We were on just talking basis. about that back there. <clears throat> um, the not eating and drinking part doesn't mm -hmm. really bother me too much. Mm -hmm. I do miss my coffee. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> It is, I think my biggest test is patience, especially yeah. being hungry and being tired because you have such broken sleep, um, dealing with my kids and just having that patience. So I have to work extra hard at that. Life goes on, right, but it goes exactly, on on an empty stomach. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Marcia, how about, how about you? How do you deal with the, the fasting part of it? Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I learned something that helped me a, a long time ago, and that's um, someone gave me this tip, and that when you get hungry, when you get thirsty, rub your stomach and just tell, look up or just look in and say, Lord, this is for you. Make it easy for me. So it's been eight days now. So today's the eighth day for some of us, nine mm -hmm. day for others, uh, depending on when you started. And so far, it's been a breeze. Like, I'm really, really grateful. I think it's all mental, and I've mentally prepared myself. Hey, we're going to go without food. We're going to go without water. So maximize the eight hours when, where you can eat. Um, so that's what I do. I try to eat super healthy, uh, like fruits and veggies and tons of water, uh, tons of dates, and try to stay away from all salty and fried foods because that will drain me throughout the day. So I think the not eating part, not difficult at all, actually. And just the water part, I do get thirsty, but I try to conserve my energy, and that helps a lot. <laughs> well, what about when you break the fast? I'm sure that's a pleasant moment for everybody. Yeah, that's definitely the most rewarding point, I think. Um, when it does get difficult, you tell yourself, it's okay, you know, Lord, accept this for me. Um, and then in that moment, you feel a little strength, and it gets you through it. When you sit down and you look at your meal and you put your hands up and you pray for forgiveness and you pray for acceptance um, and you break your fast, all of a sudden it's over. Yeah. That's it. You're not like, as hungry as you thought you were either. You know, Nassar, I think a lot of emphasis is put on the non-Muslim world, on the fasting mm -hmm. part of, uh, of this uh, period, this holiday. But it's much more than that. I think uh, uh, Faison talked about the idea of doing things for other people. Mm -hmm. You're involved in that, aren't you? I do. Um, so one of the places I like to volunteer is with Project Downtown. And uh, it's an organization that started back in 2013, um, just a bunch of college students that decided that they um, wanted to do something to help the uh, less fortunate. And they started me uh, feeding meals, mm -hmm. preparing and feeding meals out in North County. Um, at a destination there, and um, now they're part of a larger organization. Um, Project Downtown St. Louis is part of Project Downtown National, and there's like over 20 chapters. 
and uh, across the United States. And every week um, we go out and we go out to the same neighborhood and prepare and uh, feed the less fortunate out there that, 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 the average neighborhood yeah that, that's that is the focus on the that's people the focus. Who are on the people yeah yeah on the people out there Faison, what's the origin of that part of the uh, celebration feeding others is one of the most rewarding experiences being muslim and also as part of all abrahamic tradition really all faith traditions to feed those and be kind to the stranger and ramadan's an opportunity where people can experience what it's like being food insecure, not having your next meal prepared. And if you can experience that and uh, walk in those shoes, then you're more likely to then donate and support those people as well. Often we forget that even our own city, we have thousands of families who are food insecure. And Ramadan is an opportunity where people like Project Downtown, the people that are feeding are fasting, so they can't eat. And then yet they're feeding other people, which I think is absolutely stunning, especially in the summertime when it gets so hot for uh, all the volunteers. Now, you mentioned something that I think many people, uh, if, if they knew it at all, tend to forget. And that is that three great religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all have their, their heritage in the uh, Abrahamic, uh, if you will, family. Correct. That's right. And, and we should remember that. Right. We should remember yes. that. And fasting is not something unique no. within the Muslims. No. In fact, part of the way that God describes fasting is that fasting was prescribed unto you as it was prescribed unto nations before you. So this is a tradition that the Muslim community also does with other Abrahamic traditions as well. And it's fundamentally grounded in an opportunity for you to stop feeding your body for a little bit, but start feeding and nourishing your soul. So a lot of what Ramadan is, especially for Muslims, is a way to reconnect with the divine, especially because, you know, Don, you and I and everybody here, we have our daily routines. Every day we wake Mm -hmm. up, go to work, do the same thing every day. But Ramadan is described as the great disturber, that it goes in and it disrupts your schedule, it disrupts your flow for that whole month, it disrupts your sleep schedule. And because of that, you are now living in the here and now and the moment. And it's something that really in- inspires many Muslims, and they really look forward to the month. And when it's here, they, they love it. And when it's gone, they miss it. Yeah. Nisar, why a month? Why not two weeks? Why well, not six weeks? I was just weeks? actually just going to say that I was listening to a lecture recently, and they were talked about Ramadan being like a training session. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's basically a training session to try to put into good habits so then you can carry on for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, the work that we do with all the charity work that we do, it's not just because of empathy or pity. It's a duty. It's mm-hmm. part of our faith. And because no matter what wealth we have, it doesn't really belong to us. It is mm-hmm. God's wealth. And we are caretakers. And so it's our responsibility to take care of the people in our community. Those are the kind of things that like, I like to instill in my children. Um, it doesn't matter how much money you have. You can live in the biggest house or the littlest house. You, you have to make sure that you take care of others. Other things are, yeah. are, are more important. More important. Majda, I, my understanding is that the last 10 days of this uh, month-long period are the holiest of these days. Why is that? So we believe that the beautiful Quran, the book, uh, one of the books that we uh, uphold as most holy, of the four that we believe were revelated by our Lord. Uh, The Quran was revelated in the last 10 days. We don't know exactly when, and I think that's part of the excitement is not knowing when. That way you can really dedicate yourself and give in your all and stay up as late as you can and wake up as early as you can so you can connect with Lord and uh, pray to Him and ask Him for forgiveness. So it is the revelation of the Quran that makes it most important. 
you know, to add days. on to uh, yes. what Mojda said, one of the things that a lot of people of other faiths may not know about Ramadan is that in Ramadan, there's also a special night prayer that happened during that month called the Tarawih. So typically, the mm-hmm. night prayer is at like 10 o'clock now. And then the Tarawih prayer, they typically try to recite the whole Quran during those every night in Ramadan. And that usually ends around 11.30. So Muslims like myself will stay up until about 11.30 every night. We go to sleep and then we wake up around 3.30 in the morning because then we have to do the morning meal. And then go back to sleep and then wake up at 6.30 or 7 to then go to work. Uh, so this is one of the... Uh, you know, unique rituals is that it also disrupts the sleep that uh, the community has. Is it very common for people of your faith to to memorize the Quran? It's very common. And one thing that's unique about the Quran, um, and I think Nisar is going to speak about that in a moment, <laughs> is that part of our tradition is to memorize the whole Quran. This is called the Hifs program or the Hafid, and the one who memorized becomes the Hafid or Hafid if they're a female. And it's part of our tradition to preserve the Qur'an. So even, for example, if a person of another faith came into the Islamic center and they witnessed the prayer, when the imam is leading the prayer and he's reciting the Qur'an, if he makes a mistake, immediately everybody behind him corrects him, right? And sometimes it becomes annoying because so many people are correcting the guy. So then he hears and he does it. And in fact, in St. Louis, we have a program to teach uh, Native-born Americans, you know, young kids who were born in America, grew up in America, watch YouTube and are millennials. And many of these are Hafid students, as young as six, seven, eight years old. And sometimes these children will actually lead adults in prayer because they know more Quran. In fact, Nasar's yeah. children are in that. Yeah, my son, my oldest son is in that program, Darul Quran Foundation. Wow. And he's been doing it for about a year and a half now. Yeah. He, he's an amazing how, kid. How, how, I'm, about in a year I'm and sure a half. It, he's been doing it. He's, not, he's about a little less than halfway through. So uh, basically a three-year, uh, three-year project. It is self-paced. So uh-huh. it just depends on how much he can accomplish. Marjorie, have you been through that? No, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. Well, the Quran for me personally is a lifelong uh, learning experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to focus on the tafsir, which means the uh, explanation. Uh, is that a good mm-hmm. way to ex- mm-hmm. say that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the explanation of the Quran. So because I'm not a native Arabic speaker, I was born in Afghanistan, so my first language is Farsi. So when I read the Quran, although I can read Arabic and I can write Arabic, I don't speak it, nor do I understand mm. it. So I like to study what it's telling me to do, how it's telling me to live my life, and why is it saying what it is. And um, I find beauty in that. So I would love to memorize the Quran, and I try to memorize surahs here and there or verses here and there that resonate with me. But for the most part, my personal focus is learning on its meaning. Mm-hmm. How, how long is the Quran? How many, how many pages? Um, I don't know how many <laughs> pages. There's 114 surahs. 30 cha- uh, juz, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I like to go off of what Mujda um, is saying. Yeah, basically that was my goal for this year. And so I have been going through many multiple sources and kind of trying to understand the meaning of what I've been reading uh, all my life. And um, it's amazing when you sit down and look at it and it there's just so much no- wealth of knowledge so in wisdom. there. Yeah, so much wisdom, so much guidance. It is the book of guidance is what it is. It's... Right. Faison, is is this holiday uh, celebrated and observed the same way all over the world? 
Well, it's, it's celebrated the same way in that people will increase their prayer, they'll start fasting, and they'll do these other things. But the great thing about the Muslim community is that Muslims speak every language in the world, and they're from every country in the world. So Ramadan has own flavors. And I don't just mean that when they break the fast and the food that are eaten. In St. Louis, <laughs> if you want to eat some very unique foods, go to a, a, a Muslim's house for Ramadan, and you'll have food from all around the world. What I mean also is that some of the, the traditions that are done and the way people practice it, Asia is unique, and we get a taste of that in America. One thing I wanted to add, though, is that one of the challenges that we have, specifically with care in Ramadan, is that because of the rising Islamophobia in the United States, because of um, you know political rhetoric that's out there, one of the trends we've seen is that we've seen an increase in anti-Muslim hate incidents, especially in Ramadan and especially in the last 10 nights. I remember one of the first cases I was involved in in 2012 was when the Joplin Mosque fire happened, and that happened in the month of Ramadan during the last 10 nights as well. And one of the things that we encourage all Islamic centers, especially in the beginning of the month, is to be ready and to have security at your centers to be ready for the month. Believe it or not, now, when I was a kid, we had a debate, an argument at the Islamic center uh, here on whether we should lock the doors at night. Mm. Uh, whether that was legal or not. And now we're way beyond that debate, right? Now we have security guards, and it's, it's a little sad to see that reality set in. But now with, the, with Islamophobia in America the way it is, it's important that community, especially Islamic centers, prepare for these night prayers, prepare for extra Muslims coming in by increasing their security, increasing their surveillance, and being ready for any type of attack. Yeah, a couple of things I want to bring to the fore here. Number one, if any of our listeners have questions about Ramadan that you'd like to ask, give us a call at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org or tweet at STL on air. We're talking about Ramadan, the, uh, the, uh, the, the event each year that uh, is celebrated by Muslims around the world. It is a high holy period for them, and that's what we're talking about with Faison Syed, the executive director of CARE St. Louis, Mojda Siddiqui, fitness trainer here in town, and Nassar Syed Power, a project downtown volunteer, because that's a big part of what this uh, commemoration is all about. Nassar, Nassar, let me come back to you. Um, do you feel safe, given what, uh, what uh, Faison has just said? Uh, in this community, in this time, do you feel safe? Kind of a mixed answer on that one. I do feel safe because I feel like God is protecting me. But um, blatantly out there in the public, I am a little bit more careful than I used to be, especially if I'm out in my headscarf. Just a great example. This morning, I was at the gas station, actually, Mm -hmm. and this elderly gentleman was kind of looking at me kind of funny. I was kind of, you know, taken back. Uh, I went around the car, got in the driver's seat and he walked up to me and he said assalamu alaikum <laughs> and i kind of felt bad that i had questioned his motives that, so that's but a, that's i think people are yes and way. yes and i think people are making a great effort out there but i there are times that i don't feel safe Majda, how about you um i feel safe i totally feel safe i um am not afraid i don't have a fear i'm grateful because i know that I know this by studying the Quran, and it mentions time and time and time again that have no fear but the fear of the Lord. And if there is any danger, uh, if the Lord does not allow danger to touch you, it cannot. And if the Lord allows danger to come to you, all of the world in its power and might cannot protect you from that danger. So I try to put my best foot forward every single day, and Ramadan is a great time to do that, to... um, 
purify your intentions and your internal struggle, purify that within yourself because as long as you're living a certain type of lifestyle and you know that your Lord is your sole protector, provider, nurturer, sustainer, and all those things, then uh, you're good. You're good. Having gone through several, I won't say many, but several Ramadan periods, how has any of them changed you? Oh my goodness, I change more during Ramadan, or I like to use the word grow or develop, um, more during Ramadan than the rest of the year. So when Ramadan kicks in, I prepare myself mentally for it a couple of weeks ahead of time, headstrong. Um, but during the month, I try to dive in and try to just hold on to whatever I can, because this is the month that changed me. Actually, I started wearing the headscarf the hijab, if you like to call it that, uh, four years ago during this month because I was inspired by reading the translation of the of the Quran. And there was this one verse that really resonated with me about protecting and preserving your beauty. And um, that was just one piece of how I changed during this beautiful month. But other than that, I grow and grow and grow. I, I'm, I'm really looking at what uh, not only what changes during the month, but what beyond the month, how have you changed? Um, so during this month, it's a recharge, right? It's mm -hmm. a reflection. So um, I do a lot of writing and uh, a lot of reading. So I, I write all those things down. And what do I want to change? What do I want to look at myself differently? How do I talk to people? Do I say thanks enough? Do I say I'm sorry enough? Um, how do I communicate to my parents? So my one that's a really good example is my, my relationship growth with my parents is just perfect during this month because we believe as Muslims in the faith that during this month the gates of hell are closed mm -hmm. and all the major demons and Lucifer, Satan, whatever you want to call them, is locked and caged inside of, of hell and the gates of heaven are open. Thus, there's mercy pouring around us everywhere. So everyone is in a uh, more peaceful state of mind and state of heart. So during this month, my relationship with my parents is at its best. And I take advantage of that and I try to hold on to those habits and those uh, behavior interactions and try to continue that same behavior throughout the year it makes a huge difference. Nassar, can you point to anything in particular that is a direct result of this time? Um. My volunteering, um, many years ago, I think my oldest was like four, so it's about eight years ago. Um, me, it was just me and my husband and my four-year-old at the time, and we wanted to do something. So we were actually, I just contacted a shelter that was downtown, and we took up some pizza, soda, and some cookies. And I don't know, we didn't spend very much, but it fed about 100 people, and it just started with that. And then now I can, I organize three-course meals at local shelters and it's wow, so I've so just grown, you know, it's just grown into something. Faison, how about you? Well, Ramadan in general is a month where a lot of people try to change themselves. So even, for example, my family, my father used to smoke and they stopped smoking Ramadan. I have other relatives who used to also have other ha bad habits of smoking or um, in general just gossiping or, you know, these other things that we do. And Ramadan, because it's a month, because it's a certain time, because you're hungry and it's a constant reminder it gives people that room they need in order to make themselves better folks i have a brother-in-law right now who still does smoke um but he doesn't smoke while he's fasting right and he's trying to quit and this is the month that he has the opportunity to actually get over that hump and hopefully uh get to where he wants to go 
obviously this has been around for a long, long time, but is there any changes going on now? Are there any changes going on now generationally? Are, oh, yeah. uh, we talked about Nisar, your children, mm-hmm. uh, memorizing the Quran. Right. Uh, is everybody f- following this, this kind of path, or is that changing? Who, who would like Well, just to on. add on to it, there's a few interesting th- ways that Ramadan is changing. So when I came here, I'm an immigrant. My, I'm first generation. My parents were born in Pakistan, and they came here as adults. So when we would do our breaking the fast meal, our morning meal, we would have these elaborate, lavish meals. Pakoras, which are like deep fried <laughs> samosas, all these types of dishes. <laughs> and now as an adult, now I have children. But my the iftar meal, the breaking the fast meal, is basically fruits, water, dates, and very, very simple. And I think within there's a generational gap. A lot of my friends who are now married, they're not having these same elaborate meals that their parents did. But yet every time I go to my parents' house, it's the same thing, right? Really elaborate meals. I get a lot of weight there and I lose weight at home. So it's um, we see a generational gift. Another thing that's interesting is in majority Muslim countries, the schedule flips on its head. So outside of Ramadan, you go to work 8 in the morning, come back at 5 or 6, whatever. In Ramadan, everything shifts. So businesses open around 5 at night, and they stay open till like 3 or 4 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And traffic is dead in the daytime, and it picks up at night. So it's just an h- interesting flip in the schedule. Uh, time is beginning to wind down. Do either of you ladies uh, see any generational gap in all of this? Um, I think I agree with the diet part of it. Uh, even when we were younger, my mom used to make like these festival type of like feasts at home with all this like food. She's a great cook. But now in my household, we try to eat super healthy and light. Uh, my mom makes smoothies and uh, my dad makes fresh juice from like actual like real oranges um, and lime and try to just keep it healthy and light. All right, Nassar? I guess I'm keeping with the older traditions because I have the pakoras and samosas and ah. <laughs> all the fruit and dates. <laughs> nice. And But we, yeah, it's some, I like to create traditions with my kids. And mm-hmm. so I, my focus is a little bit different. Right. And so mm-hmm. we enjoy that. Time is winding down. We have a question from listener Matthew who writes, Do you have a recommendation for an English translation of the Quran? Do you know of any that are... There's a lot of good English translations of the Quran out there. One was recently done by, um, I think it was Yale University, and it's called um, The Holy Quran, and it's uh, a translation that's done by that actual university, and I think that's a really good copy of it. There's also another book called The Guide to the Quran, which is also something very good, because not only a translation, but it's also a guide and gives narratives on it. I do, yeah. Um, (laughs) So for iPhone users, uh, there is this app, it's called... Quran Explorer. I live by this app. I live in the app. It's amazing. It has the transliteration. It's got the English recitation in there. It's got multiple English recitations you can choose from. Um, It even has like a little um, explanation section where it breaks down the meaning. So you, you can just dive in and get all the Quran explanation you need. Yeah, I use Quran Explorer a lot too. Um, I also use the Uh, Quran translation for middle schoolers, Um, easy to understand, easy to read, gives you a little background information, and kind of on my level, I guess. (laughs) Faison, we have 30 seconds left. You have an event uh, that is coming up. Do you want to give us a quick... uh, Of course. Uh, So I would encourage everybody, all your listeners, to come. On May 31st, we're doing an event called Celebrating Women Interfaith Iftar, Breaking the Fast Meal. It's going to be a kebabish restaurant, and it's an, an event open to both men and women. But the speakers, the program is organized by women. All the speakers are ladies. And it's an opportunity for you to share in the break in the fast meal, listen to uh, female Muslim artists and performers. 
performers and really get to uh, come. So the event is out there. Go to our website and you can register online. We'll put the information on our website. Nice. People of all faiths invited? People of all faiths are invited and, of Excellent. course, both genders. We've got to stop it right there. I want to thank you so much, Faiz and Syed, Executive Director of CARE, for being with us. Majda Siddiqui, thank you so much for being with us. And Majda, great to see you as well. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.